It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Deborah Berger likes to build things and has found that putting together quilts is a way to express that talent and fondness of building things. It's also something that she can do for others. Out of all the quilts she has made, she only has kept two for herself, which she says is an honor and blessing to give these quilts away. Deborah, thanks so much for being on A Quilter's Life. So happy to talk with you. Great to be here. Thank you for asking me. Uh-huh. Let's start with where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado. We did move to Atchison, Kansas when I was about 13 and came back to Denver in 1981. I guess I was about 20, 21 years old when I came back to Denver and have been here for the majority of my life with the exception of my husband and I lived in Florida for about 10 years. Okay. Do you have a special childhood memory? I think I have lots of them, but I think the memory that has the most impact on my life would be the memory of my brother. His name was Alan, and Alan was my older brother. He was two years older than me, and he had cerebral palsy and was very severely handicapped, but that, in this sense, was not a bad thing. His disability enabled me to learn more about myself, more about the community that has special needs. And I think that him being in my life was very important in the respect that it made me who I am today. Wow. You referred to him in the past tense, so I'm assuming he passed away. Yes, he passed away at the age of 31. Wow. It was 91, I believe, that he passed away. 1991. That had to have been hard on you. Very, very much so. You mentioned that you lived in Florida for 10 years. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, did you keep your home where you were and then go back to it? Or did you completely move to Florida and then decide to come back and you found a new place? We came back and found a new place. When we moved to Florida, we had basically built a home there. And after our youngest graduated from high school, my husband loves the water. So we moved to Florida, sold our house in Colorado. We're there for 10 years. We set up a nonprofit organization there. And once we got it up and running, I decided that I really wasn't too fond of Florida. I didn't like the heat. I didn't like the humidity. I didn't like anything about it. So we came back to Colorado and bought a new home. Actually, we're in our second home since we returned to Colorado. Oh, neat. I do hear people from Colorado just love that area. It would be hard to leave it. It's very special. It's a wonderful state to be in. It's beautiful. It's very active. It's a great place. And unfortunately, there are very few natives. The natives of Colorado seem to be the minority here. Most of it's all transplants because Colorado is so beautiful. People want to move here. Yeah. Can you tell me about your employment and maybe why you chose to do that? 
I've had a couple of different jobs, so to speak, in my lifetime. Originally, I got into insurance and investments and worked for many years in that field. And then because I seemed to be technically gifted, I started working in the IT field, basically breaking computer software for insurance companies. And then after that, my husband was also in that business. After I retired from that, right after we moved to Florida, I wanted to get involved with the community as my husband and I are and always have been involved in the community wherever we were. And I got involved in pet therapy. I'm a big dog lover. And I got involved in pet therapy and did not like the way that the organization I was volunteering with, how they were performing. Things weren't safe. There was just a lot going on. And so I left that organization and really, really loved and enjoyed doing therapy with my dog and was kind of lost. So my husband said, well, you know what to do. You know what's going to make an amazing therapy organization. Go do it. So we started, it's called Canine Assisted Therapy. It's in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. We started that in 2009. What a blessing for pet owners. Yes, absolutely. Well, not necessarily the pet owners, but the people that benefit from the therapy because we recruit volunteers with their pets and evaluate them as a team. For example, myself and the dog that was the founding dog of Canine Assisted Therapy, he was a Leon Burger named Dylan. We would go to facilities like nursing homes and hospitals. We did a lot of physical therapy. They used the dogs in physical therapy to motivate the patients, get them to reach a little further to pet the dog or use the dog brushing to accomplish certain activities. And the organization has now grown to and is growing to crisis intervention, which means we will be deploying therapy teams to unfortunate incidences like school shootings, natural disasters. We'll have specialty teams that will go and provide support to the victims of those. Oh, wow. It's a lot more involved than I pictured. Yeah, it's very involved. Yes. Now, my kids were in 4-H with dog projects. So Mm -hmm. I know that was an option with that. To do pet therapy, you mean? Well, it was quite a while ago, so it wasn't called that. But to be able to get certified to go into places. Uh Uh-huh. And so Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you have a connection with any organizations like 4-H. We do not. The most that we have done, we did a lot in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, with the Girl Scouts. One of the things that made our organization stand out a little differently was when we have a therapy team, they all started off in nursing homes and hospitals, mainly working with adults. And not all dogs are very fond of children. So we had a special evaluation of these therapy teams with children to make sure that these dogs were appropriate to work in that capacity. And we would have the Girl Scouts of America in the area of Florida they would come in and help us evaluate the dogs for their suitability to work with children. Okay. So you're back in Colorado. Colorado. Mm -hmm. You just wanted to move back. Your jobs didn't take you back there. No, we were both retired other than, you know, starting the nonprofit. And then I ran it for the first 
six years, almost seven years as a founder and executive director. And then we were able to do enough fundraising that now we have a full-time CEO and a full-time staff. So I was able to step away from that and decided to come back to Colorado. I wanted to come home. Yeah. Besides quilting, what other crafts do you do or have you done? I've done a lot of knitting, crocheting. It's mostly those type of arts. So knitting, crocheting, quilting, embroidery, cross stitch, those types of things. Anything that keeps my hands busy. Mm-hmm. How about other hobbies? Mostly just dogs. I'm a big dog lover. I'm involved with another organization just on a consulting basis. That's a service dog organization. And I actually have a service dog release that is now, you know, one of my pets. And then we're on our third Leon Burger, which is a dog from Leonberg, Germany. They're huge. He's 155 pounds. So I do a lot of training with my own dogs. I am not a dog trainer, but I am perfectly capable of training my own dogs. And I spend a lot of time working with them. I'm going to have to look that breed up. They're a beautiful dog. Like I said, this will be our third Leon Burger. Unfortunately, the bigger the dog, the shorter the lifespan. 10 years is, you might get 12, but you know, 10 years is about all that they unfortunately live. But they're a beautiful dog. We fell in love with the breed when we got our first one 25 years ago. This will probably be the last one. We're getting too old for this, this big of a dog. But we do love the breed. They're very gentle. They don't drool. They're very kid-friendly. They're just a big ball of love. Mm -hmm. Very hairy, but a big ball of love. Do you think your hobby with the dogs shows up in your quilting at all? Oh, absolutely. One of my favorite quilts that I did a couple of years ago was one of our volunteers who had been volunteering from us from almost the beginning. They had two golden doodles, and they were very involved with volunteering at the Veterans Hospital in Palm Beach, Florida. And they lost one of their dogs. Her name was Molly. They lost her unexpectedly. And because they know, you know, I was a big quilter, they sent me all of her bandanas that the groomers put on them when they groomed the dog and asked me if there was something that I could do with those bandanas to make a memory quilt. And I ended up making a quilt. I may have sent you one of the photographs of it with golden doodles on it. And each of the golden doodles had one of these bandanas on. So it was a memory gift for them. So definitely it shows up in my work. And I've made quilts for volunteers that are very special and have really gone above and beyond and made very special quilts for them. Oh, neat. I'm sure they were so appreciative. Oh, definitely. It's a way that I can give back to them, and it's something that they can treasure for many years, hopefully. Who introduced you to quilting? Actually, I introduced myself. When we first moved back to Colorado, I got a new sewing machine, and it did all this fancy stuff like embroidering. And one of the ways to learn the embroidery was you made all these different patches, like a patchwork of the different techniques that were available to do on the sewing machine. And I got it done and it was beautiful, but it kind of occurred to me that the machine was doing all the work. It wasn't really me making this thing that beautiful. Yeah, I put it together, I put the threads in, but it wasn't me actually doing the construction. 
And that's kind of what got me started. It's like, hmm, I wonder if I can do this myself and what would it take to start quilting? So the first thing that I did was when I got online and got on quilts, I got a Dr. Seuss quilt kit. And that was the first actual quilt that I had actually made. And I did it. I'm very technical. So it actually turned out incredibly well for my first quilt. And I was hooked from that point forward. And I've made over 200 quilts now in about five years. Oh, wow. Now, was that Dr. Seuss quilt for someone in particular or for yourself? It wasn't to begin with, but then, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do at that point in time. I did not have any grandkids yet, but we had great nieces and nephews. So our oldest nephew got a Dr. Seuss quilt. It was sent to him. Fun. Now, whether it's a quilt you made or a certain pattern or somebody else's quilt, do you have a favorite quilt? I actually do. And it was a quilt that I made for my son-in-law, who is a Marine. He's retired from the Marines, but his wife, my daughter, gave me all of his uniforms and I cut them up and made a two quilts for him, actually, because he had been in the military for a number of years. So there were a lot of uniforms. So I made two quilts that were very military themed and made them specifically for him. And hopefully he'll pass those down to my grandsons now. Yeah. I'm sure he knows what all went into it so he can appreciate it. Yeah. And I don't recommend making quilts out of that fabric. I literally, some of that fabric, what they call their everyday uniforms, I did not realize that there is like a fireproofing on some of it. And the the uniforms that had not been washed as many times were very stiff. And I actually bloodied my fingers from working with the fabric. It's a really tough fabric. Wow. So it was a challenge, but it was a labor of love for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, as we're quilting, there's all these different steps. Do you have a specific step that you really enjoy more than the others? Or do you like each step as you go along? I like them all. I think my favorites, though, are the piecing. And then, of course, I love doing the binding because that's the finish of the the whole project. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your worst quilting experience. My worst quilting experience. There was a quilt that I did for a niece and it was a quilt that she wanted. It was very, very simple quilt, but it was the most boring thing I had ever <laughs> done in my life. I didn't like the fabric she picked. I didn't like the pattern. It was too simple. I like a challenge. So it just seemed like it took me forever. It probably only took me a couple of weeks from start to finish, but I just hated looking at it. I hated working with it. I, I hated everything about the quilt. And that's the only one I've ever felt that way about. I just, just wasn't a challenge in any way, shape or form. Huh. Isn't it funny how different people can look at the same thing and one will love it and one Mm -hmm. won't? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. 
Do you know what has drawn you to make quilts rather than spend your time doing something else? I love the creativity of quilting. I love the feel of the fabrics. I love watching it go together. I like to build things. Uh, I was one of the strange kids in high school or girls in high school that took things like auto mechanics and woodworking. I took woodworking for four years, so I like to build things. And this is a way that I can express that talent and fondness of building things. And I do it for other people. Of all those quilts that I've made, which is you know way over 200, I've kept two of those for myself. Mm-hmm. And who do you usually make the quilts for? Family, friends, volunteers. It's any number of people. When I try a new technique, I will do it on like a throw or a twin size quilt. And those usually are donated to Children's Hospital. So it's just anybody. I love to do it. And there's only so much you can do with so many quilts. So it's just an honor and a blessing to me to be able to give those to people. And some of them are people that I really don't know that well. Yeah. Do you have a project going on right now? I do. And it was my first Judy Niemeyer quilt. It's on my long arm right now. I loved doing it. I've never done paper piecing before. It turned out beautifully. I loved it. But the quilting of it has been a challenge for me. I do not have a computerized long arm. So it's all being done with rulers. And I have a bad habit of not carefully planning it out. So I'm kind of a wing it when it comes to quilting. And I overdid it a little bit on the quilting and (laughs) and it's going very slowly. It's turning out beautifully, but I'm tired of looking at it on my long arm. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Well, aren't those quilts pretty detailed in and of themselves? They really are, but believe it or not, they are quite easy to do. It's not nearly as difficult as I thought it would be. And when I first wanted to do one. I had seen them for many years. I wanted to do one, but just because they were so detailed, it terrified me. But just a couple of years ago, I did my first double wedding rings and I loved doing the double wedding rings and I made four of them like within two months. So I got a hold of a retailer. Actually, I found her on Facebook and was messaging with her on Facebook. And I said, do you really think I can do this? I've only been quilting for, you know, four years. And I said, the most difficult thing that I have done has been a double wedding ring. And she said, my dear, if you can do a double wedding ring, you can do this. And there are so many videos out there that Judy Niemeyer has put out. And this one was called Valley Blossoms. And she actually has up on YouTube from start to finish doing the Valley Blossoms quilt. And so I was able to follow along with those videos and it made it very, very easy. It was very gratifying. It was easy to get it perfect. It was a fun experience. And that's part of what I love about quilting is the piecing. So this was a challenge. It turned out beautifully. And that part of it, I was very happy with. Wow. You mentioned having a long arm. Now, did you get a long arm right away when you started quilting? I did not, after my first couple of quilts, 
I did get a sit down long arm and my arthritis was just getting so bad. I like making large quilts. The majority of my quilts are at least a queen. I've done a lot of kings and trying to push all of that fabric and batting and backing and everything around on a table was just getting to be a little too much. It was a Bernina Q20 that I had on a table. So I bought a frame and put that Q20 on a frame. I guess I got the sit down within six months of starting quilting and I just got the frame a couple of years ago. Okay. Share a quilting tip. My quilting tip, I guess, is that I finish a project before I start another one so that I don't have a lot of, what do they call them, UFOs (laughs) sitting around. I think that you can get overwhelmed. There's been a couple of times that I've had more than one project going at a time. You get into a rhythm with a quilt. And I think if you can get into that rhythm and stay into that rhythm from start to finish before you start another, I think the quality of the quilt is improved. And I think the satisfaction of getting it finished is much greater. Thank you. That helps me. You like to get lots of them going at once. No, I, do. <laughs> I don't. And so many people do. And I thought, well, there's this class. I'm in the middle of this one, but I think I'll go ahead and take the class. And and yeah. it's just not working for me. So now I have two quilts partially done and it's making it harder for me to want to get in there. Yeah, it does. And I found that just the very few times that I've had more than one project going at a time, I found that same problem. And I think that's Part of my frustration with this Judy Niedemeyer right now that's on my long arm, I will not start another project until this Judy Niemeyer is done. So my machines are sitting there collecting dust right now. I have fabric that's ready to go, but I just refuse to start on them until I get that quilt finished. One of your pictures that you sent was of a sewing machine. Can you tell me about working on that? Yeah, actually... It's kind of funny how I got started on it. We very rarely have power outages in our neighborhood. And we had like a four-hour power outage. And I was making myself crazy because I was in the middle of a quilt and I couldn't sew. So I thought, you know, I'm going to go look for an old treadle machine. My mom used to have one and I'm going to look for a treadle machine. And that way, if the electricity goes out again for any length of time, I can still do my quilting. So the first one that I bought was a 1921 Singer Red Eye, they call it. And I got it. I cleaned it up. Just a beautiful machine. Whoever had it took really good care of it. And as I started researching and looking around on the internet, I saw people getting these really beat up, horrible machines and cleaning them up. And they just turned out beautiful. So the one that I believe I sent you pictures of was an old hand crank and it was in the worst shape. I found it on eBay. The gal just wanted to get rid of it. So I got it just for the postage. Wasn't sure it wouldn't crank. The needle bar was bent on it. It was just in horrible condition, but I had so much fun refurbishing this machine. I spent a lot of hours cleaning her up and putting on new parts and 
working on the case for her. And now she's just a beautiful machine that works. She stitches like a hot knife going through butter. It was just so gratifying bringing something with that much history back to life and making it useful that now I have two more machines that are ready to be refurbished. Oh, well, so you kept on with that. Yes. So it's very gratifying. And it's fun to see the quality of these old machines. These old machines were meant to and built to last for many generations. Yeah. The picture of the one that you sent is just beautiful. Now, when you were thinking about refurbishing, you got the machine. Did it hit you of what do I do? How do I go about this? What, what happened? It did. And basically, there's so much that you can find on YouTube now that I had done a lot of research and watched people's YouTube videos on how they were refurbishing these machines. Actually, it's very easy to do. And I'm incredibly mechanical. So I found it very relaxing, just like the quilting, to work on the machines. But I learned it all through YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) I keep going back to, you mentioned one part of it was bent. Were you able to figure out how to straighten it or did you have to get a new piece? I had to get a new piece. And that's part of the fun is the hunt. So it was actually the needle bar. And that's the bar that goes up and down that actually, you know, moves the needle. And somehow I imagine based on the condition of the case that the machine got dropped at some point and that needle bar bent. They're so thick. The bar itself is steel. And it's about as big around as your little finger, maybe a little bigger. So straightening it out was just not an option. So the hunt was going on eBay, doing a search. And I think I found an old needle bar for this particular machine up in northern Colorado. And so people have them on their sites that they'll have pieces and parts for different machines. And they'll get machines that maybe aren't in good enough condition to refurbish. So they will take them apart and part them out. And that's how you find the parts for them. Oh, cool. That's a whole nother hobby in and of itself. I thoroughly enjoy doing it. And the beauty of these machines is just unbelievable. Yeah. And the quality too. I have to tell you, when I first got my red eye, that's it's a treadle. My husband came to me with like a canvas bag that he uses for one of his hobbies. And he wanted a piece of Velcro sewn onto the front of this canvas bag so that he could put labels, Velcro labels on it. So I said, sure, I can do that. Well, I have one of my quilting machines is a fast creative icon, which is the top of the line fall. And I went to try to put this Velcro onto the canvas and the machine would not sew it. It just moaned and groaned that, oh boy, how are we going to do this? I'm going to try it on the treadle. Went over to the treadle, threaded it up, and it just went through it like hot knife through butter. So these machines are just so indestructible and so high quality. It's a shame that so many of them have probably ended up in the dump somewhere. Yeah. Thank you so much, Deborah. I love getting to chat with these quilters and 
It was so much fun chatting with you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it very much. And kudos to all the quilters out there. I know a lot of people do what I do and just do it simply out of love and gift these beautiful works of art to to many people to enjoy for generations. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye-bye. Find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>